This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. You ready? I'm ready. All right, guys. Welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. I'm Jeff Fader, and I'm here with my good friend, Benjamin Kamon. And he's back. But before we get back, get with Benjamin, we got to get with our beautiful sponsors. Number one is I want to thank, thank, thank the listeners for supporting Broadbeck Ironworks. Broadbeck Ironworks is the makers of the 2x72 grinder. It's a beautiful grinder made by knife makers, for knife makers, metalworkers, steelworkers, uh, sculptors, woodworkers. It's outstanding, and it's got great features. You can go horizontal. You can go vertical. There, I have, I have a couple here. God, I got to set them both up. And it's like, it is, they are a total dream. They're a dream come true machine, and it's definitely worth it. It's meant to be the one grinder you need in your shop, and definitely worth it. I got them. I love them. I've been dealing with these guys for a long time. This customer service is outstanding. And if you go to broadbeckironworks.com, you can get a couple discounts. The, I know that the Black Friday discounts are gone, but there are other discounts. If you go to Broadback Ironworks. Uh, dot com. You put in promo code Knife Talk two hundred. You're going to get two hundred dollar discount off any of the grinder packages, the Max, Premium, and Mega. And if you put in Knife Talk one hundred, you're going to get a hundred dollars off their sharpening system, which is dynamite. Their surface grinder and leather sewing machines. So definitely go check it out. They also sell abrasive belts. I mean, if you're going to sell grinders, might as well sell abrasive belts. So thank you once again to Broadback Ironworks. I love these grinders, man. I swear they're fantastic, um, and I appreciate your support. Next is my good friends at Even Heat. I've been burning the candle with Even Heat. These guys are the best. Uh, they are the manufacturers, the finest heat treat ovens available. And what's a heat treat oven? It's a it's a it's an oven that can go up high, up to like 2,200 degrees. I don't really need to go up that high, but you can get there. And it has a solid state drive that will hold it at a very specific range. And it, with those ranges, it it's monitoring the degrees. And it can hold this very specific uh, area of degrees, and it's just—it's just like it's incredible. It's incredible science. So if you're doing tool making, if you're doing knife making, if you're especially if you're getting into stainless steel, you want to be able to hold that temperature at a very specific rate. And if you have a great even heat oven with the tap control, don't skip out on the tap control. These things are dynamite. You need to get it, and if you're going to have that oven, it's going to be great. So go to evenheat-kiln.com and check out what they have. If you're a potter, if you're in ceramic, if you're in ceramics, go get yourself an evenheat. These 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 are the guys are the best in the game. I love these guys, and let me tell you something. There's a small company owned by a wonderful family in 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 in, in Michigan, and they are they're once again. Customer service is out of control. These guys are on top of everything. Spence and the whole crew is fantastic. And I can't say enough great things about Even Heat. I love these guys. So go to get yourself an Even Heat. And if you go listen to Knife Talk, they have special discounts on how you can get your ship to the United States for free. So go check out that. And uh, Even Heat, you've done it again. Next is Axe Wax. Axe Wax, all natural food safe. Wax for your axe. If, you, if you're doing anything like me, where you're using making a lot of culinary knives, it's nice to know that you have a product that is food safe. I actually just did a knife with a, a, a 52100 knife with a force patina, and I use Axe Wax to seal the knife. And I know that when he, the customer gets the knife, it's going to be protected, but also it's going to be food safe. So uh, definitely go get some Axe Wax. And if you go to axewax.us, put in promo code FULLBLAST10, you're going to get 10% off all of your order. If you're in the UK, UKKnifesupplies.com, he's taking FULLBLAST10. EU, 
knifematerials.ae dot at he's taking full blast 10 for 10 percent off if you're in australia you go to artisansupply.com that's gamaco artisansupply.com.au he's taking full blast 10 and if you're also in australia and you think i want somebody else go to nordicedge.com.au they're taking full blast 10 so it's global ladies and germs go get yourself some of that axe wax and get some wax for your axe you know what i'm saying or your hammers or your wood or your knives or fuck it put it in your hair put it in your teeth put it in your lips don't worry about that don't he ain't listening to this i'm telling you i heard about it don't worry about that all right next is next total bow total bow baby total boat are the makers of adhesives paints primers polishing compounds they started out making uh ingredients to help you fix your boat so boaters and diyers were needed stuff paints and heat primers adhesives or polishing compounds to make their boats float and then all of a sudden, the maker community was just like, I need some of this stuff too. And the Total Boat is, is full blast into the maker community. They have two-part epoxies. They have high-performance epoxies. They have portable epoxies. And it's great. I love, love, love. And I say it all the time, and I keep saying it, the UV Cure Clear Resin is crazy. You put it on, and then you hold it this UV flashlight, and it cures immediately. It is like, I don't understand the science, but I am for it, it 100%. And listen... Guys are making crazy projects. They're doing river tables, pardon the expression. Apparently, people have a, it's a very controversial situation. But if you want to be controversial, make yourself a river table. If you have any uh, mummified animals that you don't know what to do with, make a little box, pour a little bit of two-part epoxy in there, stick the mummified uh, 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 critters in there, then fill up the rest of it, and then all of a sudden you can be like Jimmy Duresta and you can take all your dead animals and put them in a block make sculpture. You know what I'm saying? It's weird. It's a weird thing to do. But Jimmy Jimmy does it. <laughs> I'm going to ask him about it. He's going to come on pretty soon. We're gonna, I'm going to bring his bring his bell, wondering what's he's, what he's doing with all these mummified animals. But... If you got to do it, you might as well do it right. Use that Total Boat. So if you go to TotalBoat.com, you put in promo code FULLBLAST10, you're going to get 10% off all of your order. And if you don't ask me, ask Keith Decent, Derek Vermalden, Keith Johnson, Keith Mitchell, Jimmy Duresta. Go ahead. Rattle his cage. Ask him. Ask him what he thinks. He's going to tell you how much he loves Total Boat. And I do too. So go get yourself some of that Total Boat. Get some of that two-part epoxy. I definitely have been using it for my uh, handle scales, and I really do like it. So if you're a knife maker and you think, I don't need any of that, you get yourself some of that two-part epoxy, and you won't be – you give it a try. And 10% off, who's, what's the big deal? Uh, P.S., you don't have – when you get the, the pump bottles, and you do one pump, one pump on each, it's going to be enough for one knife. So you don't have to go out of – you know, you don't have to out of, go out of control. It's great stuff. So TotalBoat.com, I'm with you. Next is my friend Lawrence Lake at Maritime Knife Supply is amazing. MaritimeKnifeSupply.ca or MaritimeKnifeSupply.com. All your knife-making needs. He's got your belts, abrasives, steels, kilns, forges, presses, heat treating of his anvils. Anything you need. You got axe wax. He has Dr. Laren's must-have book, Knife Engineering. That it, Number two is... Number one, I didn't even say number one, but number two is that is a must. If you're a knife maker and you don't have Dr. Laren Thomas's book, Knife Engineering, you're making a mistake. He's got all the recipes there. And you can get it from Maritime Knife Supply. You can also get 10% off your order off your belts if you get the 10-pack of belts. Ten per, they have 10% off of a pack of 10, and it's great. And it, look, yeah, you, 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 I know you're in Tennessee, and you're saying to yourself, what do I need to get belts from Canada? Well, the, the price is good, and the service is just as fast. I don't know how he gets it through the, over the border. That's not my problem. I'm getting it over the as fast as anybody else, faster than some. Actually, I at rate I had a, did a race with him and another 
knife supply company. And it, they, the knife supply company I used was much closer than Lynn Lawrence. Lawrence came faster and he came from Canada. So go get yourself some of that maritime knife supply and stop fooling around. Okay? Got Good. And the last but not least is I got a message from Trojan Horse Forge. They have vices available for Christmas. So go to TrojanHorseForge.com. Get yourself one of them knife stable rail knife finishing vices. Go tell the woman, the person that you love. I'm assuming, I'm assuming only men listen to this podcast. Uh, that might be that might be a little bit arrogant of me. Go tell the person that you care about that you want one of them knife finishing vices from Trojan Horse Forge. And and tell them. This is what I want. And they got it for Christmas. Put it under the tree. And you can get you can get a free ship in the United States if you put in full blast into the promo code. So all your hand sanding needs, all your handle sanding needs, whatever you need, get that Trojan Horse Forge. Don't play. All right? And then, they have, and then if the person that you care about is just like, yo, I don't have enough money to get you this vice because I'm cheap. Well, you just let them know that they offer payment plans too. So go get yourself some of that Trojan Horse Forge. Stop playing around. Okay, that was fun. That was fun. I got to tell you, I, I my guest is is Ben Camon, who is Camon knives are arguably Europe, some of Europe's he's one of Europe's greatest knife makers, and he's arguably on the world stage as one of the best culinary knife makers around. He's back, Ben. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me, George. George did very good. Good man. Did I say your name wrong again or something? No, no. I listened to the last episode and Dude, I thought I, I, I have to bring this one. You should definitely. So, so if you're not listening, I, you know, I tell you what. I had last episode. I had uh, my friend uh, uh, Julia Sexton on, who's a food writer, and I had my bell rung after all the things that I said because I have alienated local magazines around here because. The crazy part is, is magazines don't even matter anymore. I don't know if you know this or not. I don't know no, what it's yeah, like yeah. In, in Austria. But like I had recently had, I recently had uh, some of my knives in for, for, uh, for before Christmas. We had them locked and loaded, prices, everything ready to go. And we made extra ones because of the article. It didn't do a fucking thing. No one picking up this magazine. And a lot of yeah. these magazines are just done. So uh, what? Print like, mainly, right? Or, you print, I mean, yeah. print. I guess. I, I Do frankly, they have I don't online, know. Online versions too. I, I think that I, I believe that the online versions are are usually different than like they they pick and choose. I don't think they do everything. I don't know. Frankly, I don't know. But I just know that like talking to Julia and I got to write this goddamn. I got to up speaking of which. So last week I uh, I uh, I asked Julia if I could write an article and she says yeah, it'd be great. And I'm thinking she's like I'll have you in for the spring. I'm like oh, okay, great. I'll have some time. And then at, at the end of the conversation, at the end, uh, I guess that that night she I said to her, so when do you want this thing? She goes I need it by December 27th. I was like. <laughs> so I got to write a whole thing. Yeah, but, do you know how much you have to uh, write? I mean, yeah, it... it's like 400 words, which is surprisingly not very much. You know, if if you had a little 400 words is like three paragraphs, which okay. is kind of hard to It's kind of it's like almost too little to kind of get any traction. You know what I mean? It would yeah, be, it's, it's like doing tough, like a yeah. it's like doing a 30-minute podcast. It's like you can't really get your you can't get any traction. So It'll be all right. We'll figure it out. But uh, the George thing was really funny because um, <laughs> the George thing was really funny because I really did burn that. I'm not really a bridge burner, Ben, and I burned that bridge with that magazine hard. <laughs> I burned it hard. I so uh, that, so that. Go yeah, ahead. I mean, it's the, it's the it's the least to. I mean, the the, the name. <laughs> I mean, it's it, it, it was so easy, right? <laughs> 
I get, I've been getting George, my, you know, my father, my father just decided to name me Jeffrey with a G, Jeffrey William Fader, which is like, he's from the Bronx. He's from the Bronx, New York. It's just like my mother, who was just like totally, you know, doped up from, you know, giving birth is just like, well, we're not even English. You know, why are you naming him like after Jeffrey Chaucer? And he's like, oh, it'll be great. So my whole life, G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y is for some reason, I think that there's some sort of mental block and it just makes people think of George. So this really? magazine just okay. decided, well, obviously his name couldn't be, Je they didn't fact check and they said George Fader. And I even posted the picture and people were like, I mean, it, there's, it was so stupid, but I wrote him a, I wrote him a message and they didn't really appreciate what I said. And then I said their magazine was fit for dentist's office in the area of the, where they were for you know what I hate? An arrogant response to something like that. If you if you show something his mistakes and and uh, which are clearly is, is clearly their mistake, and you show it to them, um, then they can't be arrogant in my in my opinion. Well, this particular magazine was is is like it was like a it's a local magazine that is very uh, product oriented. So they do get a lot of people who who buy ads and that they there are a lot of people who like want to be in this magazine because like a re perfect example would be like a restaurant. Let's say if you're you live in this air in this particular area and you want people of a certain age to come into your restaurant, a magazine might be the move because that certain age might not be going on Instagram to find out where the local eats are, you know. Mm -hmm. And this is actually something I was interested to know in regard in what you think. So most of the people who are reading this magazine are on the older side, probably over 40. Like they're, they have a subscription to this magazine or maybe they'll pick it up in, you know, the supermarket or something like that. But it's really like, it's like a kind of upper class, you know, lots of money, expensable, you know, it's people with money who have nothing better to do than to pick up magazines. It's not really a magazine that you get it. You wouldn't get it at the airport. Yeah, so. right. Which makes me wonder how's your how's your holiday season going? Um, yeah, <laughs> it's it's stressful. I mean, I don't even have the the, the Christmas business like you have, but I have uh, two weeks of vacation around Christmas and and New Year's. So I want to bring my last batch out, and I only have two weeks left before the um, like holidays and. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty stressful. I I, I told my wife already that I have to uh, make overtime a little, yeah, um, yeah, to get it out and and just to finish with the year and all that and uh, yeah. So will you, all your knives will be on your newsletter? No, you no, no. Um, usually, I'm I'm having a batch of twenty and I make ten custom orders, um, which. Now I make knives. I took the order about one year ago, and the guys I took the order from, I told them it will be done in about half a year. So I'm 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 way behind, and and the uh, uh, rest up to twenty goes to Eating Tools, Crocker, um, uh, my Korean retailer, and and Modern Cooking, and. Uh, sometimes I have a collab piece in there, like right now with Joshua Prince. Right, I'm very excited about. Um, and and so I fill up the badge, and now, yeah. Um, so that that's what I mean. I I don't have the Christmas business like you do. I do I do nothing for Christmas. People hit me up and 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 write me. Uh, they want to buy a knife for Christmas, and I'm telling them, yeah, next year maybe. Like it, it's. 
it's yeah. it the hard part is there's a there's a few hard parts one is i i love the fact that you're working with guys like crocker cutlery and and especially abe i'm i'm an i'm an on the abe shaw i'm an abe shaw fan i really appreciate abe because he does such a great job for custom knife makers of a certain caliber and he's just like i've talked to him a few times i really like i like abe very much and i'm really glad that you're involved with him uh, i feel like i almost like as a protective person, I feel like he's the guy that you're like, okay, you don't have to worry about. It. He's not going to like, he's got such a great reputation and he does such a nice job. And the people that he has are so high level, but at the same time, they're the biggest big mouths too. So if he was, if he was, <laughs> if he was a flea bag, trust me, I'd know about it. For, you know what I'm saying? 100%. So it's like, yep. but it's great that you're dealing with all these retailers. Are you enjoying it or is it stressful? Um, no, they they usually give me all the freedom. Um, I might have some special request, requests occasionally, like Abe um, one time uh, requested a knife to be made again because he has a very good customer and the customer wanted a certain knife he already sold. And then I'm just making it because why not? Um, right. But other than that, I have all the freedom. Usually I make knives to my liking. Um, I show the pieces to them, uh, describe what it is, and give them the price. Um, and they uh, can say yes or no. So far, they always say yes. <laughs> so yeah. I'm a very lucky bastard regarding that. Um, Excuse me. And- I have to interrupt you. You're not a lucky bastard. You've established yourself as a, you know, as a, a really gifted knife maker. So you can make whatever the hell you want. What <laughs> I would wonder is, are there are certain retailers I would imagine that the retailers that you're working with, and you don't have to say names, you don't have to say anything. I would think that each one of them has different clientele style. And I would wonder, do any of them say, well, my customers like, you know, let's say they want nine inch chef knives or whatever that, you know, they have a specific, is there a specific thing that your retailers are kind of looking for? Or they like say, well, Chinese cleavers do really well, or is there any specifics? Mm, not really. I mean, Abe, Abe uh, recently asked me for a Chinese cleaver because I, I didn't didn't make one one for a long time. Um, but other than that, I I mean, I follow a little how fast the knives sell. And the only time I had trouble selling something was through Crocker Cutlery, but that wasn't his fault. For one, it was um, oh yeah uh, yeah it was a, it, it was a set of a a chef's knife and a patty and also the handle was i mean it was it was pretty bright it was ash wood and the end caps were made from um moose ivory and yeah it, it it wasn't as flashy as my knives usually are so i think it was kind of outside or or perceived of outside of what i normally do didn't he have to like repair one didn't he have to repair one and he was like petrified about it Oh, I mean that 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 happened a lot. Um, I I even had uh, one damaged with sharp by Coop. I I had a few knives sent back by Abe, and and all not to their fault. You know, it was just shipping issues. Um, that panics me. Yeah, it's. I mean, I, I learned from it, and and my 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 packaging is pretty got pretty bulletproof. I haven't had any issues for a long time, so. It's a learning curve, and but yeah, at the time because it's it's difficult when when you ship outside the EU, um, you um, will have uh, custom duty, duties, 
uh, when you ship the knife back, even though they won't ap apply it. Because um, when you when you ship a product back to the manufacturer, then it's exempt. Uh, uh, exempt is that? Yeah. yeah. Uh, from from customs duty by law. But you know they charge you seventy euros or whatever, and uh, not not so such an high amount that it really uh, is worth going through the trouble um, discussing it with them because it's several mails. Uh, probably you have to um, get your law law lawyer involved and all oh, that. Forget so, it. Yeah, it, it doesn't pay off, but it's uh, it's really a pain in the ass regarding that because you're essentially gifting money away, and <sighs> that kind of sucks because they yeah shipping outside of the united states is terrible it's terrible it's so expensive like i hate i mean it's it's no secret i hate merch i hate t-shirts i hate them all and the reason why i hate them is because it's 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 nothing but a pain in the ass you can't be charging people a hundred dollars for a t-shirt and you can't but at the same time it's like you, you buy if i you buy the t-shirt all this stuff so we try to keep the price reasonable. We don't really know trying to make any money off it, but it's like people want to buy the t-shirts and I want, they want them out in, in the EU. And I, we figured out that it's going to cost like 50 to $60 to ship to a t-shirt, probably 40, 50, about 50, let's say $50 to ship to the UK. And then they don't know when it's going to show up. And it's like, how, who's going to pay $50 for you, for shipping on a t-shirt then they don't even know when it's going to get there could be yeah, could be that's, months that's and that's only shipping right yes yeah. yes it's a pain in the ass and then they're but, like well where is it I'm like i have no idea did you did you ever inquire with fedex or U, ups um about a special uh, business tariff or it's um, like we've gone through it we, we might we've i've actually spent more money on manpower trying to figure out how to do it then it was worth it. We we got to the point where every week we'd have this meeting. I'm like, any, what's the word on the international? And then uh, Tomer was giving us this information. He uses like these. He just recently had a problem. He I don't know if you know this or not, but Tomer had a knife that was sent back, and the and the the whoever was shipping it ripped it. The, the courier ripped it out of the box and stole it. So <laughs> he got an empty box sent to him. And it was like a very hard to, you know, it was a limited edition Florentine kitchen knife. And it did pull right up. Those are the things you just like, you hate to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm wondering about the price because even uh, I, with with way less output than you have, have a have a better tariff shipping to the to the US or probably anywhere. I'm I'm paying, I think, insured up to 800, 900,000 euros, about 42 euros to the US. So That's I, great. I yeah, I, but I would think you could get the same. It it wasn't really complicated either. So I just wrote them an email and they, you know, uh, uh um did send a guy out to to call me and and uh, he made me an offer and that's it. We don't get enough. We don't get enough requests, but I know that like, and it's interesting because, you know, social media has opened people. I mean, like you and I, you're talking from Austria and I'm talking from New York. I mean, we're, it sounds like we're in the same room. You're create, we're creating these relationships. I mean, like we have, I mean, you and I both have friends in common from all over the world. And you have this very interesting dynamic where we might be from different cultures, but we all speak the same language, this knife-making language, and we're all kind of dealing with the same things. And you'd think that there would be other, there would be, may, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, but the ship, shipping abroad should be as easy as everything else, and it's just like completely nothing. And I know that if we opened up, if I was able to make it easy to open up 
our business to abroad being simple, it would it would double our business by a mile. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, you can't do it though. I'm I'm shipping about half my orders to the to North America. I think. I, I hear a lot of guys in Europe are doing that same thing. I know Honor Kagler sends a ton of stuff to the United States. But it's easier for me to go to you. It's way more expensive. Like I sent something to Tomer, and it was like sixty bucks. It was just like, it was just too much, and it took like two months to get, come out of uh, Span uh, Barcelona Customs. So, yeah, but, Customs is, is always sucks. It, it's but, it's and and it's not an issue you can really solve. It can always happen, <laughs> no matter what you do. <laughs> That's um, this year in, in the United States. Uh, we I use I, some people have really good experience with the United States Postal Service. I particularly do. Part I believe part of that is because every Christmas I bring like the the I bring donuts to the the mail places I send, and they know me. Like they can get they can get on the phone with me if there's like a problem or anything like that. Like I feel like I'm I'm like greasing the wheels a little bit, but huh. what they've been saying is is because of Amazon, and I don't know if this is a a couple of years ago, Amazon was slamming them with so much business that they couldn't keep up just for Amazon. And now that Amazon's taken away a lot of that service and they're doing their own service, I've been still hearing that, like, especially the knife makers are saying, get everything in, or makers, or get everything in the mail by the 10th. Otherwise, it most likely won't arrive on Christmas. And it's like, it makes it a little, everything a little bit more nervous making, you know? Yeah, I, I, I can imagine. I mean, so, yeah, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, the, the, sta the standard postage service works um, pretty good in Austria, like locally. So I can imagine USPS working good within the US, but outside, um, it's usually they uh, use third party services and the tracking stops and all that shit. You, usually it's it's really horrible. Um, it's, so. it's, it's, this is this time of the year, too. It's it, it, Everything gets a little bogged up. What was interesting, and, and then now that I know that you don't do a lot of, I mean, I would imagine because you use retailers, I think that there's probably still, you you will still have a type of Christmas demand because most likely people are going to uh, your retailers now for gifts and stuff like that. I would imagine, especially, I would think that they, they would probably be like asking for stuff in order to have stuff for Christmas. What do you think, how do you think, how is social media changing in the last few years and are you noticing any spikes or differences in your business because of social media i mean i haven't been on there as long as you have i think i have um uh, activated my instagram account uh, 2017 and really only using it since 2019 Hmm. Uh, where I, I got the first post. But I, I recognized there was a lot of growth uh, in the beginning. Then there was this uh, dip when TikTok got popular. And now it's it's easier to grow again, I think. Um, um, but generally speaking, I, I have to always say, because I, I mean, you, you're often easy to criticize social media and all, all the things that are going on and all the things that are weird and we don't understand. But at the end of the day, it's it's... It's really a special tool and it's completely free. So I think you can only be uh, thankful for, for that overall because I, I, I wouldn't have the business at all if it wasn't for social media or in, Instagram in particular. So You make a very good point. You're far more grateful than most of us. 
we're we're all like we're all we're all like things have changed. This sucks, and <laughs> and it's like because I I it's, what it's you're absolutely right. We should be fucking grateful that I mean I started social media. I started on Instagram in the beginning when it first started for sculpture, and it really did allow me to not have to deal with. Um, galleries and and dealers and stuff like that oh. so but i have noted there was this the the weird changes has i've noticed it how it is has affected my business to a certain degree and i'm i'm interested in it i'm interested in i am grateful to it and it has given me a lot of opportunities but it is something like all of a sudden you get nervous that what does all of it mean? What is it all of a sudden? What is, who is looking at stories? Who is looking at um, the reels? And, and you look at you can look at all the the tooling and stuff like that. And it's like, are these my buyer? Are these my the people who are purchasing my knives? Are they just like, you know, looky lose? And it's just it, I find it all to be fascinating. Yeah, um, alone the 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 number of uh, knife makers that follow you, right? I mean, <laughs> it, yeah. it kind of um, it's a little crazy, but. <clears throat> I think, yeah. I I mean I follow my, I'm I'm mainly following knife makers myself, and I follow follow I, I think one thousand three hundred people or something like that. So, um, I, I don't know if it's if it's really a bad thing to use the same platform for uh, advertising your product and pot potentially selling it, and also to connect with the community and and maybe get some inspira inspiration or, um, you know, all, all that all that stuff around. So, I mean, the, the one thing doesn't necessarily uh, exclude the, 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 the other. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. Um. On, on the topic of inspiration, I, I was just talking to uh, David who works here and I was saying that I believe that you're one of the most success. I think that in in terms of design, execution, and thoughtfulness, I think you're probably one of the most thoughtful knife makers that I can think of. Like, if I had like a, in terms of the thoughtfulness of design, thoughtfulness of execution, and just kind of like overall, you, I, you're on a very high list in regards to how you construct your knives, how you design them, and how do you do you feel that you are inspired by a lot of guys because. I feel as though your work has kind of transcended a lot of these kind of inspirational guys. Um, I mean, I, I try to get inspired mainly when I, when I follow other guys, I do it for inspiration. Um, but that doesn't, um, that that's not only, um, for uh, true for knife makers, but I follow. I, I think I, I said it the last time. Uh, knife makers, in particular, with the texturing of the wood and and finishes and all that. So I try to or, or folder makers. I, I try to get little things with the beat blasting and all that shit and try to implement it into my work. Um, I don't try to copy like overall designs, of course. I mean, for one, it, I, I I don't think it's a smart idea. I can't stand behind it and all that, but. The other thing is it's boring, right. so uh, r r straight from an uh, egoistical uh, perspective, it's it's just nothing that's tempting, you know. But um, uh, certain techniques, maybe, um, yeah, like like bead blasting or a finish or a certain material. M material. Um, I, I I made one knife. I was inspired by you just for the uh, color combo. I do that a lot. I see a certain color uh, combination. 
uh, like handlewood with brass or whatever. And I think that would look good on my knives. And I try to make that. But for my See, knives, and I think it's it's yeah. What's interesting is that you, when you say inspire, you're using the right. You're using this inspiration correctly. Inspiration isn't mean just ripping someone off. Inspiration is you know just what you said in terms of the color. I saw the color and I thought that color would look great here, and then you're using the idea to inspire you to come up with something new. And I wonder because I think that your work is very mathematical. Like I feel like when I look at your stuff in general, like as a whole, I can see you have like your own equation on the texture, and then you have the color, and then you have the bolster, and then you have this kind of how you make the transition between the handle and the knife. There's a very mathematical quality to your work, and I'm wondering in general what you think, how people can get this concept of you know, developing their own style because you've, your, your work, you, you, you fall into that trap, not that trap. You fall into the, having your own style. That's very unique that people can see without having to see your touch mark. Yeah. It's, it's difficult. I think, I mean, it's, it's a lot of luck involved, I guess, because you, you essentially, you stumble upon it, I think, and then you stick with it. And uh, it could well as well be that, that I had designs I could have stuck with and and um, maybe uh, that would have even worked but I dismissed them and maybe maybe that that could happen to other guys as well um, because I, I'm, I'm thinking like that if you would see my first my very first knives um, you you would like I mean with every knife maker I guess it's 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 really bad and so I think you you experiment and then you stumble upon a thing you want to keep it and then you maybe maybe refine another thing and 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 have another idea and combine it and then at at a certain point you just end up with a yeah it's it's difficult <laughs> it's it's i think it that development isn't very methodical but the knife making now for me is but the development wasn't as much i guess is what i'm trying think, to say i feel like i feel as though that there's this improper expectation that things just happen and things just happen quickly and knife making has become something that's so easy to start but it's so hard to get proficient in in terms of creating the stuff that you make like you can watch a video you can watch an Aaron Goff video you can watch a Michael Trolsky video and then with a few things you can cobble together your first knife and it just takes so much dedication to constantly keep going i feel like there's this un unreasonable expectation that people have on themselves to become you or Moreco or or nick Conger or there there's an unreasonable expectation that it's, it's just taking to it's it should happen all overnight yeah is there is there the you mean you mean regarding the success or finding i mean style? i don't when i say success i mean as in like you're uh, you realized the kind of work that you're doing and then that this is the kind of work that I'm doing. And it, it doesn't, if you put my work up against other people's, you know who mine is. You know, it's creating your own characteristics, your your own individuality and your own work. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I mean, surely it's tough, but I think I it would work best if you just make the thing you would love to buy the most. Um, if you're a knife nut and, and you're like kitchen knives, I mean, take it the other, uh, um, the, the other way around. Uh, 
a person that isn't into kitchen knives will never um, develop their own unique and beautiful style of making a kitchen knife, I guess. So I think you have to be a knife nut and, and, and just, just try to make what you would love to buy. And if the market is saturated and you don't have any ideas, I guess, then the job isn't for you. I mean, it's, it's really, yeah. It's. Do you think it's to buy or to use? Do you think a lot of knife makers, you th do you think young knife makers, when they're starting out, you think that they're making stuff that they want to buy, have, use, or sell? Because, like, you can see that, you know, culinary, the culinary knife world has exploded. And a lot of it's because, you know, you, your, your, your customer base is all of a sudden exponentially grown. And I wonder if they want to make culinary knives because they, they're knives that they would want to use or they know that they can sell. I mean, buy and use would be pretty much the same for me. Because if I'm buying, okay. buying something, I'm using it, um, no matter what it is. Um, I, I mean, it, no, regarding objects that can be used of course but uh, you know what i'm saying um yeah. but i don't really see anyone getting into it to sell it because that would imply that they are into it for the success and i don't really see um i i, I would see other branches of or jobs or whatever being more successful uh regarding the financial side of things so I, I don't really see someone getting into it just to sell it as as is or am i maybe maybe i'm wrong in that no i think it's i might be an american thing it might be an american cultural thing because i know lots of guys who are look a lot of, what's interesting about american knife makers i'll just say about you know knife makers in general is a lot of them find this hobby and it's like a, it's like a, an antidote to the job that they hate, you know, mm -hmm. and then they find joy in be, number one, being alone. They find joy in not having to really answer to anyone. They have, they have the enjoyment of being able to put something together with your own hands and like minimal material. It is very, that is the most satisfying thing is to be able to create something with your hand and your mind. It's the ultimate form of, um, you know, um, control it's 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 like you're you're you have control over yourself and you are and i sometimes i think that a lot of american knife makers most of them most of them have never worked in metal shops which is always surprising to me most of them have never had uh experience in any type of production whatsoever like yeah. whether or not you're doing production railing work or you're carpenter or you have deadlines most of them really there's a there's a very sharp there's this big, big disconnect between a lot of knife makers and, you know, manufacturing jobs. Yeah. And you, you've had that experience. You were a blacksmith. You were a production blacksmith before you did this. Yeah, right. I think, I think that that um, makes for a lot of similarities in our work, like doing badges, efficiency, and all that. Um, yeah, but um, I'm just thinking about it. It's... <laughs> It's interesting. I mean, you know that saying that uh, when people say um, the most important on a job is having fun, or or uh, being in a job that that is fun. You know that expression, or is that I hate those uh, expressions. Yeah, exactly. But they're like they're they're fool. They're, they 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 give these people the wrong impression of how life is. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, for one, that, and you wouldn't do the job, even though it, it could be the most most exciting job you have. Like for me, knife making, I wouldn't do it to that extent if I wasn't get paid. So I right. think I think uh, both is important to just um, uh, put put into context what I just said. I mean, I'm in for I, I'm in it to sell my knives for sure, but I didn't start knife making to sell it. So yeah, it, it's. Yeah, I, I don't think someone really starts knife making to, with, with the intent of just selling it. I think the the beginning is always having fun or or having a personal oh. interest or, you know. I see. I think that there's. You're right. So that that initial stage, that initial stage of you do your first class, you figure out. Yeah. Your initial stage is. I just want to make sure I can do this. And then you show people, and then what usually happens, a friend or family says, oh, make me one. Or how much would, I, how much would you charge me to make that one? And all of a sudden, exactly. that's when the joy changes into kind of like this profession. I wonder, do you remember any days when you were in the production metal shop where it was like very repetitive, arduous work, and you really enjoyed full days of just doing the same thing over and over again? Have you ever had that feeling? I mean, we had to fill up. I don't know how you worked back then, but we had to fill up our storage area with those uh, C's, you know, um, with the uh, dovetails and and just the C shape for to okay. to inlay into um, railings and all that. Yeah. For example, and that was a very repetitive job. I mean, it was summer. Uh, it could be thirty six degrees Celsius, or I don't know. It's up in the eighties, I think, in Fahrenheit or whatever. Pretty hot and you're standing there and punching those um ornaments out like like crazy it's very repetitive mm, i enjoyed it because it's 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 um like grinding knives today it's very um you can think about other stuff while you do it meditative maybe um but you know i wouldn't enjoy doing it the like like 3 weeks in a row it, it's maybe one or two days doing that and 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 then um, getting back to being creative. I I didn't, for example, that that's uh, now that you say it. I didn't always enjoy having to be creative. Sometimes I enjoyed just resting my mind and doing my job, yeah, and and not having to think about uh, stuff deeply. Um, I remember we did a job where we were doing these our outdoor railing outdoor railings for this property. One was a railing that circled a went around a swimming pool and there it was just like it turned into like maybe 2000 pickets and it was each picket was 5 5 eighths thick uh, bar seal bar and then we would make a leaf on the end and then and then we'd bend them over. And I remember I was working on that I was working on just making pickets for 2 weeks. And it was I had two power hammers going on. I had a couple jigs, and I had to figure out a way to do each picket in like one heat or two heats. Like you'd you'd make the point, and then you'd make the leaf, and then the third heat you'd bend it over the jig. Yeah. And it was like two or three weeks of just just this one thing. And I remember thinking, I really don't want this to end. Like it was the strange, like, Oh, I got 50 more. I have one more day of this. Or I felt as though <laughs> I felt as though it was all coming to an end and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed, I enjoyed 
the the thoughtfulness of it, trying to be better every single time. I enjoyed the um, the kind of like choreography of going from Forge to the to the to the Power Hammer. Can you? And I had this real sense of dread that this arduous job was going to be over. Like, then what am I going to do? And but, then, that what job do I have to do next? I I really am kind of like into it. Yeah, I mean, I get it, but uh, I wonder what what was the main motivator for you? Because I know what it was for me with with that work, and I'm curious what it was for you. Um, the main motivation to do it. I think that for me, blacks ornamental ironwork, like railings and stuff like that. It's this. It's for me. I enjoyed the fact that there was a technical part. It had to be within certain parameters. But there was this like non, there was this like kind of gestural stuff that you had to kind of like, there wasn't really measurements involved. They were like, we would have to tweak a scroll to make it fit, or maybe it was a little bit short. So we'd figure yeah, sure. out where are we going to move it to make sure that, it, you know, both all three, you know, four parts of the scroll are going to touch the other parts of the scrolls. And there was almost like this chaotic part that was not technical it was it was it wasn't it was like a little bit you had to be you had to use your head a little bit and you had to do a little bit of problem solving and then figure out how to make sure that you could bend the scroll so there wouldn't be a kink and you, you know there was a lot of thoughtfulness behind it i always felt as though blacksmithing ornamental ironwork especially was satisfying because it was very sculptural and there was you know, analytics and obviously there was measuring and, you know, if you drill your hole wrong, the hole's wrong and you got to start over. And, but at the same time there was like, you know, hot scroll work that maybe you just need to give it a little bit of persuasion and then make it bump it in and it (laughs) it works. And I, I just always enjoyed the, it's not like carpentry where it's like, this is the size and this is how it goes. And I always felt like there was a little bit of room for uh, imperfection. Yeah, imperfection. I mean, mostly you do it um, not to the measurement, but to the eye. I mean, yeah. like m- maybe length and outside, but the, the visual stuff is mostly done by eye side. You know, um, maybe you have a guideline, but if it looks good, then it's it's good. But um, how I how I motivated myself with, with those kind of uh, works, which are more production-like, I always made it a challenge in my mind. And yeah. that that got me that got me going. I w- always wanted to, um, yeah. For one, I, I gave myself a timeline, and then I wanted to stick with it. But also regarding quality and and dimensions, so they are because it's easy to forge two hundred pieces and they look all different. But it's tough to make it all look the same yet um, freehand forge them, right? So uh, to me, it was always I, I always made it a challenge in my mind, really, because no one. No one else gave the challenge to me. Um, I remember when when we did um, railings or stuff like that. That was pretty straightforward. Just um, not 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 the ornamental stuff, but you know, straight straight lines yeah. and all that. Sure. Um, I remember getting the plan from my boss, and I uh, calculated everything out, all the lengths, angles, and all that, and I I, I uh, cut did did cut all, everything um, at once right from the start and then only had to weld it together whereas other uh, uh, other guys i've seen um, like they they would make the frame first and then they would um, discover that the i don't know the width is two millimeters off and then they would adapt the length of the of the inlay 
Right. And right. I, I always calculated that shit out at the beginning <laughs> and and then cut it all out. And then, I mean, you know what? I, I, most of the times it, it fit. At the start, I had trouble, you know, uh, figuring it out, what could go wrong and having a little leeway here and there. But yeah, that was a challenge as well. Um, but the other to, challenges to in, metal, in metal work too, the other challenges are that welding is if something's not clamped down right everything starts to warp yeah like it's that's you know you have to there's so much that's like not exact and i've done those you know those i i would much rather do like scrolls and stuff like that because you can you know fake it but i mean like if you're doing straight railings and something's off something's off yeah i just remember those i remember the days we would we would we would put up the the top rail and the bottom rail and then i would measure I would measure inside dimensions all the time, like, uh, you know, from di the diagonal to make sure I was square. And it was like I'd measure and measure and measure because I was always afraid that I'd clamp in the top rail and the bottom rail. And then for some reason, it would be off by a little bit and the whole thing would be out of square. That was always my – I hated that more than anything else. And I it happens I, so fast. I mean – So fast. I think so fast. I think the welding distortion with a with a metalwork is same as the as the plate distortion with us knife makers. Pretty much, it's it's yeah. it's so crazy how much it distorts due, due to welding. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I remember. I was going to tell you. So I was uh, you know in terms of like that the idea of cutting everything out. And I had one. I worked for a couple metal shops. One of them was with my friend John Ledford, who was like my uh, he was like my, my blacksmithing mentor, really. And then I was in another shop where we didn't do any blacksmithing. It was completely fabrication stuff. It was railings. It was a lot of outsides of a corporate building. So we did a lot of glass stuff. There was like mm -hmm. glaziers and glass parts and brackets. And it was not metalwork at all. But I definitely remember working with this one guy from Columbia who was just incredible. I mean, just one, just an just a total genius, like a total genius. And we're whipping stuff out. We're putting these cable rails together and we're putting all these railings together. And this, when the, and the woman, the, the wife came up and she sat down and, and looked at, it and she just turns to the, the lead guy and she says, I can see daylight when I'm sitting here in my chair, I can see daylight through that bracket that was bolted against the, the, um, <laughs> the post. And she says, what can you do about that? So he said, well, let's just move your chair, <laughs> which was hilarious. Which was a hilarious thing to say because he's like, just don't look that way. Just let's move your chair. We don't have to look at that. It was a hilarious thing to say, but at the same time, it was just like, I just remember being like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. He said, yeah, just move your chair. You won't see it anymore. Move your chair. I think that, I think that these memories are really flooding back of building railings and working i remember days of like punching holes uh punching holes for channel cha punching channel holes for pickets i remember days of drilling um holes for brackets and stuff like that standing sitting in front of a drill press all the time and i i believe that that helped me translate into this business because i really tried to make it very clear that this isn't some you know fairy tale knife shop i really try to picture this more like a production metal shop so it's you were, we're doing things in a very specific manner and and you're kind of taking away a lot of the you know taking away a lot of the doubt you're also i'm also not working on one knife from start to finish
you know, I'm working in stages in, in order to, to do it. And a part of me wonders if a lot of knife makers who grew up, you know, grew up, became, who built their product, you know, their idea of being knife makers off YouTube, they, they miss out on a lot of that, you know, those grueling days in a shop kind of, you know, working on deadlines and stuff like that. Yeah, I wonder if it even appears to them that it's possible to um, work in batches because, um, yeah, they may come from another background, maybe, I don't know, a restaurant business or IT or whatever, and then you start making your first knife and obviously um, you make one knife at a time and finish it and then you scale up and maybe you invest in tools and all that shit. But it might might not even appear to you that it could be more efficient to make, I don't know, t 10 knives and, and grind all the handles at once so you don't have to permanently uh, change the grids and uh, the, the attachment of the grind and all that uh, stuff. So uh, I, I wonder why it is that so many folks aren't as, you know, efficiency-oriented. Um, I because yeah. they don't have the experience but they don't have that experience of, of working on in a in a metal shop where you have very very specific guidelines like when you're working on a, in a, on railings unless you're like you know some of the best in the world where you can push your you know you can say I don't do deadlines there are deadlines like especially in construction like in ornamental ironwork if you have railings usually it involves well, in the United States. You have very specific times you have to have the railings in in order for in inspections to happen. You can't. You yep. have to have the railings in so the inspector can come in and then it's safe. You also have to make sure that the railings are to code, and you have a very specific timeline in regards to when things can go in and can't go in. And what it does is it also it it also pushes you away from I'm this genius artist. I don't need these kinds of deadlines. You become part of like if you want this job, you have to get it in in two weeks. You know yep. that's just the way it is. And then there's this disconnect with a lot of knife makers. Every time a knife maker says to me, they'll say something about like, they'll say some buzzwords that I meet. The first thing I said is this guy's never been in a metal shop before. That's why he's saying this. He, he's never had a, the pressure of having to be in business or be work for someone who's you know, cracking the whip because, you know, they're trying to get the truck ready for you to do an installation and they don't realize that this is a lot of work. No. Yeah. yeah, but still, I mean, they see guys like you and still it, it doesn't... It, it doesn't seem to <laughs> influence them. I, I, don't, I don't know. Well, but I mean, it's it's fine. I mean, it, it yeah, shouldn't I mean, have I to. Yeah, I don't care that's, either. But, <laughs> but that's part of, I mean, that is, our, that I believe that that's part of the, the this, it's not a miss, it's not, it's not a, uh, it's not a, it's not the, a bad journey. Like if your, your journey is your journey as a craftsperson. No, no, I, I'm and not if, mocking them. I just wonder, no, I mean, I, I want no, to no. understand. I want, I always want to understand the approaches of other guys. So, and I'm just wondering why, why that is, if there is a rationale behind it or if it's just, I never thought about it, you know, I, I just, it, I, it when I, th this podcast is really interesting because I really kind of, when I talk to different people, I'd like to know their, I like to know where they came from and how they can kind of get to the, to the points that they are because there's obviously the, your history help informs the work that you're doing. And I'm grateful for be having horrible, you know, there were nights where I didn't sleep because we we're going to go on an installation and I wondered if I had the right drill bits packed in the truck and <laughs> we're going to be, or, or is the railing that I just welded together, is it going to fit? Like we're going to go two hours away. That's is this the thing worst. Gonna fit? That's, and then what are you going to do if so it doesn't crazy. fit? Yeah. 
And then that those feelings are this are, are the same feelings I used to have when I had like a big knife job where I did my first set of knives when somebody paid a couple grand for a pile of knives and I had that same feeling, what if they don't like it? Or what if it's not sharp enough? Or what if it's not this? Or what if it's not that? And I had those same feelings I had with, well, the, the railing's packed away. We already painted it, so I can't go back. I can't take it out of the truck and refix it. Well, this is it. It's either it's right or it's wrong. Uh, I mean, the pressure is also on the guy who measured it, you know? Um, of course. Um, that luckily my, my boss at the time did, and... I mean, we both made some mistakes over the years. <laughs> of course. But um, it was, but it was always key, a big relief. To, um, but to what's know. the key to making mistakes? The key to making mistakes is problem solving them out. Yeah, I mean, it's for sure. Fixing. You're, you're le learning from it. <laughs> that's that's <Yeah>. for certain. <laughs> that's, uh, I, I see so many. I, don't, I really see blacksmithing and ornamental ironwork and everything. I see everything's the same. Like, I don't really, like, even like, I mean, I feel like everything's the same. It's always based off of your history and what you put into it and the, the, the being uh, disciplined and organized and, and also not thinking too hard about it. Sometimes you just got to like, just let it, just, just let it be. Just let do the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Can, can do one you, do that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I think it takes age. I mean, I just turned, I, my birthday was, uh, my, I'm 49 now. And Happy birthday. I, thank you. Thank you. And, and honestly, at this point in my life, I wouldn't trade, I wouldn't trim any ears off. Obviously, you know, obviously, you know, being younger is more, you know, advantageous. But the experiences that I've had and the, what, which has gotten me where I am in regards to my marriage, which is regards to me as a, as a parent, parent and a business owner, I feel like I'm, I feel very whole and it has to do with the, the how I learned from my experiences. Yeah, but so no, no. Did you have ever had the feeling that you wanted to go back in time? Because that's a popular popular thought as well. I feel in my in my. There's there's one moment that I felt like I missed an opportunity, and it's a weird moment because it was I had a studio in in, in Brooklyn, and I was about to get married, and I decided to go to culinary school because my my wife's family was, was concerned that I was an artist and I went to culinary school my father was in the, in the culinary world I had I felt like I could do it and I felt like I could do something in there and I was introduced to a blacksmith in 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 New, one of the best blacksmiths in New York I had no idea what a blacksmith was I thought it was blacksmiths were this I mean I'm now I'm at this point I'm like 25 25 or 26. Mm -hmm. And I think blacksmiths are the guys making the horseshoes. Like, I'm, I'm totally, I have no idea. I'm a welder and everything like that, but, like, all this twisting metal and all that stuff, I had no idea. So uh, I was introduced to him. I went to his shop. He had a big, he was part of a huge company. His name was Tom Ryan, and he had this, he was part of the, the ornamental ironwork of this, you know, this giant metalworking company, and it was, I mean, it was amazing. And I'd already made my decision. He offered me a job on the spot. He says, come work for me. Come okay. work for me. You're going to learn how to do it. And we had power hammers. The, the, the first time I ever saw anything, this was amazing. They were forging a newel post. You know what a newel post? You know a newel post is at the bottom of a railing. You know, that's okay. the, lat, the ending post. The ending post on a staircase. Yep, yep. The top of the newel post was a full-size pineapple. Uh, they, had a, they had a die 
that was making, this was a giant power hammer, and they were forging a full-size pineapple Drop on the end of this new full-size <laughs> nice. pineapple. Nice. <laughs> it was a, it was the biggest thing I've ever seen. It was a full-size pineapple <laughs> on the end of a newel post, and I was like, "What the fuck is going on here?" And they offered me a job, and I was just like, "I already committed to going to culinary school. I can't, I can't. You know, my family is worried that I'm going to be like it. If I had taken that job, I would have been propelled into this, you know, ornamental ironwork business." Uh, seven years earlier than I already had. But, I mean, now it comes the brain choking part. I mean, yeah, obviously, that's the only thing I always think of, like, what if I had taken that job? And that's the only thing. But at the same time, like, I wouldn't have been in the position that I'm in now. Yeah, right. That's that's what I was getting at. I mean, I'm I'm sure you wouldn't be there. Because maybe you would have um, had a lot of success there and would have stayed a blacksmith. And I don't know. Um, you, you often talk about the age and uh, about how, how hard of uh, work it is to be uh, on a metal blacksmith because everything is heavy and big and all that shit. And I think, I mean, getting out of there at a certain age is pretty important because you'll ruin yourself. I I I always was in... in, in, in kind of metal shops as a truck mechanic and then as a blacksmith and all that. And the guys that were old were done, essentially. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I, well, I that's d- the thing about knife making. You're never lifting anything over 25 pounds. Yeah, the only the only bad thing are the fumes and dust, and you can handle that. I mean, wear your, wear your safety goggles and your uh, mask, and, and you're all right. Um, but, but other than that, I mean... It's 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 way 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 easier on the body for sure. One thing I wanted to ask you about, actually, I was talking to David who works for me, and I said, "Do you have any questions for for Ben?" And he says, uh, "He says why he says why do you in some of your knives you have?" And he asked me, and I made a and I made an I made my own opinion. I made my own opinion. Basically, okay. <laughs> he said, "Why do you do why do you do the blue sometimes from the tang transition from the tang of the knife?" to the blade you do that blue, you leave the blue color of the of the of the steel yeah most of the times i do it i'm i it's it's more a, a, of a it's more a philosophy i think with the forging and and a lot of other stuff i think you don't have to necessarily hide the approach you're taking so when i forge a knife the first um uh the first the first thing my grandmother said to me why is it that dirty you know that's the that's the black forging scale uh it's not dirty it's it's forged and and yeah. you you could grind it off and it would look like uh, all her usual knives and she wouldn't she wouldn't think about it but in her her opinion that's dirt you know and with the with the tampering of the tang it's essentially the same approach if it if it if it doesn't uh, it, if it's fitting to the handle and the overall appearance, I will let it be. It's always tempered, you know, but um, I'm having a knife that will be very clean, white handle, silver end caps, and the uh, complete uh, blade ground, you know, smooth and all that. Um, with that knife, I won't have them on. So it's it's having them on is a design decision, but I don't think you have to hide them if they don't pop out um like um this um how do you say it um bothering you or bothering okay. the overall uh, appearance but 
I, I always temper the tang to a higher temperature. So my thinking behind it is um, it should rather bend than break uh, if, if, it, if it really gets abused and if there is too heavy of a load on there. Um, I never had that happen, I will say that, but that's, that's the only thing why I'm tempering it higher. I what it, I made I said to him because I was I he asked me that question I thought that's a good question I'm gonna, I'm gonna look it up so I looked at your knives and I I thought that what you're doing especially because it's mostly I was noticing it on the knives where the handles are forged and then the blade is is ground and I thought that there was this beautiful transition between those two it was almost like this very thoughtful transition between the two and I thought it was like almost like you know, it wasn't this abrupt change between ground and forged. It was like this, you know, it's like a transitionary bridge between the two, like cre- creating a relationship between the, because that's the thing about knives. You know, there are two parts usually, you know, it's the handle and the knife and how they work together. And I always like that transition, yeah. but sometimes that's not addressed. And I thought that blue is kind of like this you know, extending hand between the two that's kind of creating this relationship. I fear you're giving me too much credit. I okay, wasn't good. as thoughtful as... Take the fucking as... credit, man. Take the fucking, take the fucking credit, man. Take the fucking... Tell it. You can use that. Feel free to use it. It's the, it's the, guy, it's the, hand, it's the connecting hand between the two. I'll man. Give you, I give you credit, man. You're, 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 like I said, your work is, is like... It's mathematical. It's mathematical. You have the texture. You have the shape. You have the handle. You have these things. And I feel like there's always like this balance between the knife, the handle, and the whole thing as a whole. And I find it your work to be very mathematical. I think, yeah, mathematical. I, I, try, I, I want to say logical to it. I, I always, yeah. I'm, I'm a big guy of logic in, you know, in personal life as well as I, I always appreciate logic. And I try to think of it as 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 logical to me of of course not to everyone else but um yeah mathematical uh, i think it's it's kind of a similar um term regarding this but um yeah that that's i, I always try to make it make sense for me uh so well, it yeah. is, i mean it's lo- logical and mathematical are two, the same thing yeah, yeah, i mean yeah, as yeah. far as i'm concerned in in this in this context because i mean your work is is very like I I'm you I'm such a goddamn fan. every time I get the newsletter I'm like yeah I can grab one of these knives maybe I want to get one of these knives and I, and it's always just like and it's always like I really shouldn't be buying knives and my wife's like what is she she going to see me buying knives what are you buying knives for you asshole you, you don't make enough knives you got to buy other people's knives but it's like there's something the handles the way you do those we talked about this last time how you do those butt caps with the machine the machine finishes and that relationship we talked about on the last episode where you said that's the relationship between the the machinery the machine shop you know everything's machine to the forged blade there's this it really is a very logical and elegant and it's very there's a there's a little bit more of a I don't know man your fucking work is awesome it just it, it it just it hits all the right notes uh, in your brain that it's you know that says that this is something that's really great. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Um, but regarding your interpretation of what I do with those tempering colors, um, I see myself as a craftsman, and 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 no one that ever had clue of art called me an artist. But you know, the laypersons always will say, "Wow, this is art," and all that. Right. And I recently heard a podcast. Sadly, it's in German, 
but the director of the Albertina, uh, an Austrian museum, a uh, modern art museum, was on. And the question was, what is art? And he said something that was incredibly interesting to me. And I don't know if it's common knowledge uh, amongst artists, but it surprised me because I didn't know it. Um, he said that all the uh, ancient artists like, uh, I don't know, Michelangelo and all the, those, um, they didn't see themselves as artists. That term didn't even exist at the time. They were craftsmen, like the masons that right. built the cathedrals and the paintings and all that stuff. Um, we nowadays consider art. Um, was uh, done by craftsmen. A at least they saw themselves as such. And 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 I found that so interesting that um, art is uh, artist is a rather new term. I think 1800s or so. He said, and I I thought that that's super interesting regarding all the conversation you you're often um, having with the guys. I I f I, I found that that thought so so interesting that there is so. So little gap between the two, I guess. It, it you're that is a great point because that it is something that's relatively new. It makes a lot of sense that it's a relatively new concept. I was in uh, a number of years ago. I went to uh, Amsterdam and we visited the Rembrandt house yeah. and we took the tour of Rembrandt. Have you been to that? No, no, no. It's it's fascinating because. It's beautiful, and they have everything, and the tour is really great, and it's in the middle of Amsterdam. P.S. Amsterdam is a – I love Amsterdam. Amsterdam is one of my top five favorite cities. I love Amsterdam. <laughs> and just the beauty of it, there's metalwork everywhere. Like every – over every canal, there's ornamental ironwork, and it's just it's just such a beautiful – it's a beautiful, beautiful city. Um, and they were saying that what Rembrandt would do was he would have students would have to – To, to, for him to take on a student, they would have to have a certain degree of tech, technique, and then they would come to him and stay with him. And he would teach them how to make his paintings. Like he would, they were being trained to paint his paintings, so people couldn't recognize that that it wasn't made by him. And they weren't they weren't there to become artists. They were beca they were become. Forgers, for the most part. I mean, that's not the right terminology, but they were craftsmen. They were there to be craftsmen, yeah. and they what would happen was he would, he would, he would teach them how to do his work, and then he would, he would get, he would be paid by some of the work that he would do. So they were almost like his. They were his stable. They were they, they would they would pay him to as a student, and they would be, they would be slave basically slave labor to paint his paintings, and then he'd get they'd get a, he'd get a piece of their stuff. And it was this idea that it wasn't he wasn't training them to be these individual artists who were you know they were he was being he was training to make his work. But that shows that he had a very uh, logical approach about his stuff, also because he wouldn't be able to teach it if it wasn't if if there wasn't a specific logic and and approach behind his work well, right what's I mean, amazing is he was able to teach how to paint like him painting yeah, but, is really hard painting is really hard like i find that to be one of the most painting like real painting not the bullshit i do that the bullshit i do is all fucking tricks and shit but the, the what he what he's to be able to teach someone how to paint do oil painting and then teach them to do exactly how he would do it is like mind-bending mind-bending 
Very interesting. Because it's not because it's like forging to the point. So there is like not exact. It's not an exact science. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a very open framework, you know, right? Yeah. Yeah, but but then I wonder how they how they. I mean, the framework can't be too open because otherwise it it wouldn't it wouldn't it wouldn't look like his work. I mean, it it has to be pretty narrow. Are are they being mistaken for for his work? Like nowadays? Yes. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't. Well, I mean, you'd have to. I mean, I'm not an art historian, but I was under the impression that for a long time there were a lot of his paintings that were his name on it that were he did not do. Okay. Like his <laughs> students did them, and it's something that you see with like a lot of uh, blacksmiths too. I mean, my uh, my t my old teacher Uri Hoffi, he has a uh, one of his main students, Zevik Gottlieb. I mean, you can't not see the influence that Zivik that that Zivik got from Uri Hoffi. I mean, he you can see how you know. Perfect example is Alex Steele. His hammers he learned from Brian Brazil, and you can see how his that connection. You can't not see how that connection was. Yeah. And it is interesting the whole idea between art and craft, and you know, is it high art or is it is it you know this individual expression of someone's thing or like I, I got my guy David who's great who, Tiger Call Customs he's been with me now for 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 a while and he's just fantastic I'm teaching him how to make my work I'm teaching him I mean he's I'm teaching him stages to make help me make my work so every stage he's helping me do these steps I'm yeah, teaching him the steps Jeff if you if you would have followed Rembrandt's example, you would have kept that secret. <laughs> well, but I mean, like I always, I mean, I don't, I'm not. I believe that knife making is a series of tips and it's steps. I think it's just a, it's steps that you that you. I don't think that it's like painting Rembrandt. No, I, no you, for sure not. It's yeah. not you know, he people can make my knives. They make him close. There's one guy who he he asked me a million questions, and then he uh, just posted a picture and was like, "It was like he was trying to make my knife, which is fine, and I don't have a problem with it." But it was like I can see how people would, I can see how it's not art and it is craft. I think that knife making, especially, except for when I look at your work, when I look at Josh Prince, is probably Josh Prince is probably the one guy. Josh Prince, Nick Anger. Are probably the two guys who have elevated the form, and you have elevated the form that it makes it real hard for someone to knock what you're doing off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, with Josh, it's and and Nick, it's true. It's it's very um, fluent. Is right. that the right word? I mean, it's, yeah, it it it, sure. it, it, it kind of it looks like it it flows out of them, and and especially I I recognize that with Joshua Spines. Um, when he leaves them be as forged, or Nick Ross it off with the maker's mark, you know where the where the material expands around the maker's yep. mark. I like yep. that idea. It pushes it. It pushes it up. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And and um, I mean that with it. It flows out of them. It is. They 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 don't try to hide it. I mean it's a yeah. similar philosophy, I guess, because you know why why hide that the that the blade expands uh, above the bolster for Joshua's work, for example, or why hide that. That bump that Nick Rossi has from the maker's mark. I think the philosophy is the same, but they 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 live it more, I guess. Well, here's here's this is if we can keep going. If anything you want to talk about, or we can dumb it down. 
the rest of the podcast. Whatever you want to do. I'm enjoying the conversation, man. Oh, let's let's keep going with it. I mean, keep going with it. And then I just want to make sure we have enough time to to dumb the conversation down a little bit. But, you know, (laughs) I I think that, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to be less judgmental on people's intentions. I'm trying to be less judgmental and in the, and, and I end up saying to myself, well, what do I care? What do I care if someone wants to just like knock my shit off or what do I, cause, cause I say that it's not art. Like I, I went, I go out of my way to say knife making is an art because it's like, if you can make, if I make something and then you can just, it's a tick, a trip, uh, uh, a trick or a tip. It's then it's, I've, you know, you know how to do it. It's not a big deal. You know? Um, I ended up, I was talking to somebody and they were asking me about my, about the colors. And I said, well, listen, I was getting ripped off so much and it annoyed me that I had to like bring in the old art background and do, and then do this kind of, you know, have color be, you know, this kind of more of a theoretical part of the decision-making. And it allowed me to kind of like really make sure that I was not really easily stolen from. Yeah. And I mean, I think taking inspiration is is a different thing from knocking knocking something off or completely replicating it. So I think that's never okay. Um, yeah, I, I I would be bothered by that as well uh, if I was you or uh, I, 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 I don't I don't even get the mindset behind the guy doing it because when I take color schemes, I make sure to get, give uh, credit to the guys and 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 tag them in my Instagram. So I think. I mean, for one, it just helps us all if we advertise for each other, I think. It it elevates the community. But the other thing is, I think, still it's fair. I mean, uh, Wasnack, Bladesmith, uh, I forgot the name. Uh, fuck. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know it. Yeah, I know it. Yeah. Yeah. Wasnack, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Andrew. Yeah, Andrew, Andrew yeah, exactly. Um, he said he wasn't the first to combine a black color with a natural linen micarta. Uh, but I saw it with him first, and I liked the idea. And 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 why wouldn't I credit him for it? If that's you know, uh, it doesn't take away from from me anything. I I don't I I, I don't I don't. Um, it, it doesn't bother me that I'm not the original um, inventor of that color combination. No, you know? and of and course. he just said to me he isn't either. But I I think it's fair to give him credit when I saw it with him first, and so I try to do that with with yeah with with such things. But ripping someone off like completely, that's just rude. I mean, and it doesn't make any sense for the one ripping off either. If you're not living in Pakistan, and uh, you know, uh, not able to to make any money with original work um that's kind of understandable but if you're a guy like all of us western knife makers ripping someone off i mean luckily it doesn't doesn't come by often i guess well you end up having to you i mean the thing is is you end up having to like it's i'm a petty guy ben I'm a I'm a very petty person too. Like I I have that's one of my I get like little things annoy me and and it's just like I can't I can't help it and I'm just being honest, you know. So I, and I think to myself about like I see things I see and and I know other people get irritated by it and it's just like you're just trying to I mean what it is is it's very much along the lines of um, 
I guess I guess there's this new there's this AI software that people are using to to render images and stuff like that. And I don't know enough about it, but I know all well, what I do know is that there are other artists being used in order for it to work. And they were artists that are unpaid. And there was a number of art. I know that uh, Mareko posted about it, and we're probably going to talk about it on Knife Talk. And mm-hmm. I heard other people say that artists are being unpaid, and they're being basically their their styles are being ripped off, and you shouldn't be using this. And I started to think about it, and I started to think about like the amount of work some people put into what they've done, the experimentation in order to get perfect examples. I was talking, I was doing a, uh, one of my knives and I was doing a, I do on the, on my bull elk knives, I do this rolled over brass, um, feral. So like if you have a hole for your lanyard, I don't like the way it looks unless it looks rolled over. And I had to figure out how to do it. And I was showing David how to do it. And he says, how did you learn how to do that? And I said, I figured it out. And I figured out that I have different hammers that I use for the first part. And I use a softer hammer for the second part. And I have a specific size tube. And I, f- f- I made these tools. And it's such a production for this very simple thing. Okay. And I thought that it, it took me years to figure out a way to make this rolled over lanyard tube that looks great. It looks really good. And, I'm, and, and to me, it's just like I worked really hard to figure out this particular process. And someone just steals it from me. They're really just taking away all the. They're not. They're not. And I'm being petty once again. I'm being petty. But they're not. They're. They're taking away the hours in which it took me to figure something out. And then by just sending me a DM saying, "How'd you do that?" And then not you know giving I mean? credit. That's the most bothering. I think. That's the. See, then then it becomes. Then it just becomes me just being like, look, I spent a lot of time doing this and I've made a lot of mistakes and I figured out and I finally figured it out. And some people are just, and there are a lot of people in the knife making community. And I, you know, I go on knife talk and my penance is I try to help as much as I can, but it's the same time. It's like, I can't help not be slightly irritated that somebody's just taken all my work and then they're putting, passing it on as their own. Yeah. I mean, I, maybe I'm just lucky because it doesn't, happened too often to me i recently had it uh, i i get often asked about the water cooled grinding and then i try to help the guys out and when they finally build a machine they most of the time tag me at least i i think because if they don't <laughs> i wouldn't recognize probably but i think i mean overall what i wanted to say is i think the knife making community is is, is a great one in that i 100 i i, I you know, I, I mentioned the knife, uh, pipe making community, and I one time asked a guy about a certain finish and uh, how he managed. Well, it was particularly about the texturized wood and how to polish it without the uh, polishing um, component getting into the deep holes of the texture. You know, and he when when I would ask such a question, most of my knife maker friends. Um, they would straight away just answer answer to it, and I would uh, most likely tag them and all that. But he his first response is uh, he usually doesn't share technical stuff, and 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 that was really the first time I recognized how uh, good we knife makers have it within our community. Because uh, what I took away from that, maybe it was just a bad apple I I got onto, but what I took away from it at least was that the pipe making community isn't. Uh, 
seemingly as open as we knife makers are and, and not You're as willing right. to share. So um, it get it gets mentioned a lot in our community, but I think it's it seems to be really true that it's a special community and that we are really helping each other out a lot. You're right, and you're making. I feel like I maybe I was a little bit. I was a little bit aggressive. No, 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 no. But, but at the same time, it's just like you know what? This is. I, I, you know, I said what I said. I, and it's, it's. I, I do try to help, be as helpful as I can. A lot of it comes from. I think a lot of it comes from the fact that I know that I when I hear some of the questions being asked of me, they come from a place of not really having any experience. Yeah. You know, I, I, and it's like, I just like you, you'd know this if you worked in a metal shop and, and I'm, and I'm like, you'd know this if you've done this before, you know, this, if you're asking me a question that there are these buzzwords that make me seem like you've just watched a couple of YouTube videos and all of a sudden now you're, or you've been a forging fire champion and now you're, I don't know. I, I guess I'm salty right now, frankly. I apologize. No, no. I mean, I, I, take, it back. I take my apology back. Fuck them. I, I don't give a shit. I, I completely you know, get it. I mean, full blast. <laughs> it's a full blast podcast. I got to say something outrageous. I I mean, the strangest is when you get approached like not, hey, do you mind me asking you blah, blah, blah. If you get approached, hey, how you do? Or, or yeah. not even a hey, how, how are you doing that? Period. And I'm thinking, um, well, hi. <laughs> I mean, yeah. what the fuck? <laughs> I once got a. I got. I once got told in my DMs. I got told that I owe it to the community to a vi- to do a video on how I do it. Yeah, right. <laughs> and the only and I feel like I I did I was experimenting on how I do serrations, and I learned how to do the beginning stages of my serration game was weird. It was really weird, and and it, and then. Um, Mareko came to the shop and he showed me how he did it on on a two inch contact wheel. And then I used that technique with different his technique, the 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 basics behind it. And then I kind of simplified it. And then I and then with the broadback ironworks, I was able to make figure out a way to make it really repeatable and easy. No. And then I thought, you know what? For, as penance for all my saltiness, I'll put in my highlights how I do it. And I. It's a good video. I mean, it's a solid video. It's a solid video in my highlights on how I do serrations. And I made the serrate. I made a serrated knife yesterday. I would rather do serrated knives than any other sharpened tool there is because I feel like I've gotten it down to the point. I was telling David. I said to him, "Look, it, it's not easy." And I've done over two hundred knives. I've done over two hundred serrated knives by a mile, oh, way over two hundred. And it's like it's taken me a long time to get to this point where I'm proficient in it and I can knock them out. And a lot of cooks use them. I was, uh, uh, to be honest, I was pretty shocked because I'm a freak of sharpness and all that shit, uh, thin edge and all that stuff. But I was shocked to hear, <laughs> or shocked, I mean, I was surprised to hear how many cooks love to use it because for the reasons you mentioned, I mean, they don't get dull, they just work, um, they're versatile in that. And I, I know guys that use it for everything. Yeah, for everything. Yeah. I, that's the first time I'd ever I'd ever seen all these cooks. They were using the same knives that they use in delis, you know, making sandwich sandwich guys. Yeah, and it was like it was shocking. And uh, I don't know, serrated knives for me. It's yeah, I try to be as helpful as I can. And I, part of me is just like I get pissed off about certain things and i go on knife talk and we help out and stuff like that and then i'll once in a while I'll do a tip video but i stopped doing tip videos because i'm just like it just gets me irritated i mean it takes a lot of time too i i know it from the reels i'm trying to make good reels because i mean if it works and if it helps the business um i don't you know 
uh, why not? But um, it's it's so much work. Always, I mean, with the tripod, then thinking about the camera, always turning it on, especially during yeah. forging, where you don't have the time or the mind to think about that shit, anyways. So uh, to me, it's always. But so so, I think the work part isn't can't be underestimated of t- making a video. It's a, I, it's a pain in the ass. Extremely. And, and, and I notice, I also notice that like my customers are on the, some of them are on the older side and they might not be looking at, be interested in reels. Like I used to just do pictures because people could screen cap them and then say, this is what I want. Yeah. And now I do the reels because it gives me more, you know, quote unquote engagement. I'm not a hundred percent sure I get more views on or whether or not whatever, but I mean, you could definitely, I definitely feel like, you know, reels are far more, uh, promoted than anything else. But I, may, I wonder if that makes my customer base different. So who knows? Yeah. I, I know with TikTok, it does seem to do so. I talked to a you few do guys. No, no, I don't. But, um, I talked to a few guys who are, um, you know, who are, um, how do you say it? I forgot the term. Um, who have a lot Children? of following there. Oh, sorry. Um, but <laughs> 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 no, but um, they, they didn't seem to get a lot of customers or business out of it. It's a, youth, it's a younger crowd. It's a younger crowd that yeah. probably doesn't want to, doesn't, wor- doesn't worry about their, you know, their kitchen supplies. Yeah, I guess you so. Know, they're, you know, maybe they want to, they, you know, I, I, it's, it's all very fascinating and, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> So, I mean, frankly, frankly, it's, it's, I, it, I think about everything all the time and I wonder, I just, I'm interested in, I'm interested in how other people feel about, you know, like how this year was for you. How was this year for you? Yeah. Uh, stressful. Um, but other than that, I'm happy. Um, can't complain. Had a few nice projects. Um, really, yeah. I mean, the, the price raise was crazy um in in all um like all right yeah how, how do you say it um not branches but in in all um you know energy material prices costs. rent and all yeah. that yeah material costs um but i i had to pass that on because i, I wasn't able to eat all that and yeah right. it is how it is customers weren't too happy but they they ate it as well for now i mean yeah do you do you do you ever do you sell a lot in in your in your hometown or no 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 pretty much not at all that 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 was what what I was getting at with the with the social media and all that I wouldn't have any business at all if I I was just selling locally um, me too it's it's for me it's mostly knife freaks out of the forums and 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 hobby cooks and stuff like that. Uh, and from the Instagram community, but mostly freaks. I'm happy with that because they are educated. Um, you don't have to explain carbon steel every time you sell a knife. So that's 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 very nice for me. Oh, I have to. I have. I have. I, I because I, I'm like an entry point guy. Like I'm the entry point to a lot of custom knife makers. I will. I'll explain it, and I'll explain it. And I'll explain it, and then my customers are like, "Oh yeah, I know all about it. I know all about it." And yeah. then it's just like, "Why is it turning color?" I get that shit all the time. Yeah, all the time. I hate it. it I get it sometimes, and and I always hate it. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 exhausting. I don't get that mindset either, but because when I buy something, you can rest assured I know more about that shit 
than the manufacturer does because I educate myself, especially if I spend, I don't know, 500 to 1000 euros for a knife. I educated, uh, I educate myself and I know that thing that I'm buying because I'm trying to get a lot of value for my money and I'm trying to estimate if I'm gonna like this thing. So, you know, I'm, I'm that kind of buyer. So I, comp I, 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 don't understand that mindset at all buying something and not knowing what it is i i, I it, it's so foreign to me but it but here's but a lot of that comes from a lot of that comes from that people are materialistic and they like the fact that they're spending i i know a guy i got a guy who bought a knife and he 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 rolled up the price i mean he really all the bells and whistles. He hit every bell and whistle to make this the most expensive knife it could possibly be. He fucked it up, and then he bragged about how expensive it was. Like, but it wasn't like I it wasn't complaining about how expensive it was. He was talking about I spent a lot of money on this knife. I'm really proud of how much I spent on this knife, <laughs> and it was foreign to me because like he ruined a very expensive knife. It was it was fixed, but it was like yeah, I heard the story. I don't understand that either. I mean, there's a lot of people who you know look. I get people who want when they want to buy a knife for me they show me color schemes of their kitchen or whatever they want to know how it's gonna my knives are gonna look in their kitchen that's fine yeah i mean that sounds actually interesting i think <laughs> i had that once I, um I, yeah I, I, I had a we had a guy who sent pick and we wanted he asked uh if he could send pictures of his appliances so I could get inspiration from his appliances, and I was just like, "I don't need to see your blender, my man." I, listen, we're gonna work this out without me being inspired by whatever your fucking immersion blender looks like. Yeah, if it gets too it. detailed and yeah, too weird, it's just that's... like enough already. You know, it's like, oh, come on, man, just let, you want me to do it? Let me do my thing. I'll make it happen. No, with yeah. my customer back then, it was um, so that that made a, lo a lot of sense because the kitchen was in an English racing green and with a lot of copper pans and copper. Uh, spoons and all that and so you know that that was kind of nice to make a knife for that style it was uh, a lot of browns green and the copper it it it, it was a nice project but yeah like you say it, it's it's not always like that i guess I also try not to get too crazy i i, I try I, I i am a little bit glib when it comes to all of it be honest with you i like a part of me is just like it'll be fine. You'll be you'll be fine with this one. I'll make it look great. Do you do a lot of cooking at home? Yeah, I mean, I cook fresh for four heads every time. Essentially, I mean, sometimes when we don't have time, we order food or something. But um, most of the time, I cook. Are you are you having big plans for the holidays? Cooking for the holidays, or usually I make something not very traditional for Christmas, but something um, that's a little more effort and we all like a lot. It's uh, called Tafelspitz. I don't know um, if there is a term in English. Um, do you know Austrian kitchen with the with the beef cuts that get boiled a lot? Sometimes some of them. Yeah, I lo I love German food. I love German in in in, in uh, Austrian food, Ge but I, I don't know the name. German is similar, but um, in Austria there is a tradition back to the emperor um, of boiling essentially beef steak cuts. And when I was young, I always was thinking, "Wow, you're ra wasting that kind of meat. You could just sear it and eat it essentially raw." But you're boiling it dead. But um, as I'm getting older, I appreciate the history and the uniqueness. And also the flavor is pretty good. 
So it's essentially it's a uh, it's a roast that gets boiled in soup, and then you add some uh, root vegetables at the end, so they have the right consistency, and the 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 meat takes up the flavor from the soup, and of course the the meat gives up flavor into the soup, and then you have a side dish. You you have the soup. You can freeze it or whatever, or as a uh, as a first um, how do you say it as a first course? Yeah, first course, and then you serve the root vegetables at a, as a side. And with the soup, you also make uh, with he- uh, uh, heavy cream uh, a sauce, and and yeah, it's a it's a it's a very tradition and 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 um, just um, seared potatoes. Um, I don't know the terms, Damn. Uh, but it sounds a, awesome. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a really good dish. But the the beef has to boil two to three hours, and that's I mean you can't you can't make that happen after work, you know. <laughs> Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's like a weekend project. Yeah, right. What? So, how we is the is the roast in one piece? Yeah, the roast is in one piece, and it uh, the consistency is, is what what's so interesting. It's it's not just soft, but um, the fat layer gets really gelatinous, and and uh, the the beef is soft but juicy from the soup, and the flavors really um, are are. Combining themselves because the the root vegetables that are boiled in the beef soup, they take the flavor as well. So it's right. it's a very uniform, uh, and and you you build everything up from the one main thing you're cooking. You know, um, the root vegetables land in the soup, and then you're making the sauce from uh, the soup. And yeah, it's 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 a really nice dish. I like it a lot, and it's very unique to Austria because no no other country in this world would uh, get the idea idea to boil a steak cut dead. Only we Austrians are as crazy. So, <laughs> <laughs> What are the things you cook? Hmm? I want to know more about, I want to know about more of your Austrian cooking. Um, yeah, I, I personally like stews a lot, where you use yeah. only one, um, uh, uh, oh, shit. Pot. Yeah, pot. One exactly, pot. one pot. Um I like the efficiency behind it. I like, but I'm cooking goulash. You know goulash? Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure, sure. Yeah, um, uh, beef goulash, uh, uh, but as well, um, my father. Lots of paprika, onions. Right, beef. with goulash, the special thing is um, you have to right, have to. You got to. How you make? Let's start from the beginning. How you make? What's the proper way to make goulash? Okay, you you take um, uh, a pig tallow. Okay, <laughs> pig tallow or beef tallow? No pig. I, I did pig tallow. A, okay, a beef tallow is isn't something avail, available here in Austria. I'm I'm he- hearing uh, Joe Rogan talk about it a lot. I'm curious about that stuff because it has to taste very buttery. But we only have pig tallow. Um, well, just to let you know, McDonald's used to fry their French fries in beef tallow. Shit. For years, and they were like the best. I mean, beyond the best French fries you ever had. In your yeah, life, I'm sure. Back in the day when they when they had it. But go ahead. So pig tallow. Pig tallow. Pretty much of it compared to the other, but yeah, a lot of it. Um, then you um, get some some onions in, and that the special dish with uh, the special thing with goulash is you take the same amount in weight uh, onions as beef, and essentially the the onions uh, with boiling it down make the sauce. They really dissolve themselves pretty much, and they get to be the sauce. Um, I don't put um, yeah, you, you, I mean. You, you you sear the onions, then you um, get the beef in, uh, fill it up with soup, and then some some um, spices, 
and and that's essentially it. Boil it long. It's like every other stew with meat in. Uh, the longer you boil it, I mean, you can't boil it like four hours because then the meat will come apart. But two to three hours is is all right. And then yeah, it's it's just it's just. Um, and then we have a special pasta. I don't know. Um, it's spätzle. It's sure. You know it. Of course, I love Spätzle. It's big with the uh, the Amish used to in Pennsylvania. The Amish used to do it. Go ahead, nice. talk about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the that's the. I I wouldn't even say side dish. I mean, it's it's really I I, I combine it with like you would eat bolognese, pretty much. But the the uh, relation, no, not relationship. The the amounts are the same. Like you would take uh, the same amount goulash and Spätzle. Whereas with bolognese, you would take more pasta in weight. So, and special, special, special is is it's like a dough, and then they run it through like a uh, like a um, a cheese grater. Almost exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. To make it to make the side to make the pasta size is like the tiny little dump fresh dumpling. Yeah, and it's super chewy and juicy. Yeah. Um, whereas pasta is not dry, but um, a completely different bite to it. The the spätzle yeah. are way more chewy, thicker. Um, uh, yeah, they're yeah, and and, and they're um, soft on the outside because yeah, they're a softer boiled. dough, yeah, from right. the boiling, yeah. So you make that from scratch too? Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> Damn, of course. Sorry about that. Here's the other thing. I, I so I don't know if you know about this. I don't know if this is even Austrian. You let me know. I have a friend who has a pizza place, great pizza place in town, and he's heard about. This pizza or flatbread, and you call it is called Flammenkuchen. Do you know about Flammenkuchen? Yeah, Flammkuchen. Um, yeah, yeah, but that's not particularly Austrian. I think originally it's French uh, or be- is it Bel- French Bel- or Belgian? Alsatian? Maybe. Hmm? Maybe it's Alsatian. Pardon me. Maybe it's Alsatian or something. I don't know that from Alsace. I don't know. There, I don't also, know. I don't know. If uh, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, may, maybe could be German. Yeah. God damn, is it good? It's basically a pizza with like red onions, bacon, and Gruyere cheese. Yeah, right. And the dough is a little different than pizza, right? It's not as unbelievable. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's just a destroyer, (laughs) total destroyer. So that was really. Do you have any? You have so. What are you going to be making for the holidays? Anything special? Yeah, the 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 Tafelspitz probably. The 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 beef uh, stew thing (laughs) well i i have to we have to finish off with i have some strange stories give it to me maybe we could just finish (laughs) off with okay give it to you i got you all right now i'm gonna give you some choices i'm gonna give you some choices we're gonna finish off you can choose uh these are stories i found about austria and you can tell me what you want i found uh 15 top the top 15 weird things people google about austria that's number that's one thing we can go do if you want okay we have a robbery goes awry in Austria after a suspect finds the bank is closed. That's another one. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard of this one. The Austrian village of fucking decides to change its name. Yeah, fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wait, all right, let me read. Fuck them. You mean? All right, so let me read the story, and then you can tell me. And then I have one last one we're going to do. <laughs> so you let me know how you feel about this, and I'm going to read it. The Austrian village of fucking, the name, the name of the town is fucking decides to change its name 
The long-suffering residents of the small Austrian village of Fucking have confirmed that uh, from January 1st, the town will be known as Fugging, F-U-G-G-I-N-G. Fans of the unusual name uh, name place will mourn the loss. The small Austrian village of Fucking will get rid of the unfortunate name that has been a brisk tourism trade and frequent thefts of the town signs, the town council announced. <laughs> Uh, the mayor uh, said that they changed the name to Fugging on January 1st. This was back in 2020, uh, 2021. The small community of 100 people have been pushing for the name change for years. Uh, the um, locals have grown frustrated by the thefts of towns, uh, the, si- the signs being stolen by tourists and people photographing the signs. Yeah, tourists, right? I mean, I guess the most probably most of them were Austrians. I would guess. What have you heard? You've heard of the, you've heard this story. This must be big news. Yeah, I mean, I've heard of it. In German, it's just "fucking." It doesn't mean anything, you know. Um, right. But yeah, the name is kind of a bad choice once once a lot of the population speaks English as well. So yeah. that that was my guess. I, I I was thinking of more Austrians stealing that. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's um, a stupid name. I guess it says no news has emerged about a possible name change. Is the ner- I guess there are two other fucking towns. I mean, the two other fucking legitimately. <laughs> there are two other hamlets nearby. One is called Uber fucking, and the other one's Unter fucking. Uh, yeah. the town has been known for fucking. <laughs> I didn't for- even know <laughs> that, but it's 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 common to. Um, like you would have New York instead of just York, you know. It's common right. with us with Unter and Ober. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's Lower Austria and 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 Upper Austria as well, you know. So right. So Uber fucking and Unter fucking. They're that they're gonna change. They're probably gonna have to deal with that too. <laughs> Pressures on them. I'm sure. <laughs> um, and then this is my favorite story. If you want to do this one, we can do this one. We can do the. We can do another one, or we can do this one. Austrian man find for farting, quote, with full intent at the police. We're reading this one. Yeah, give me this one. That's interesting. Most like, also, um, um, foremost for you, U.S. guys. I'm interested in that one. Okay. Uh, Berlin, in Berlin, a man in Vienna has been fined. Um, that's not Berlin. This is from the AP from Berlin. Yeah, a man uh-huh. from Vienna has been fined 600 and, 565 euros. No, 500 euros for breaking wind loudly in front of a police. A move that the Austrian capital's police force was at pains to defend on Tuesday. The Österreich newspaper, uh, pardon my pronunciation, reported that the fine stemmed from an incident on June 5th that the offender was fined for offending public decency. City police wrote on Twitter that, of course, no one is reported for accidentally letting one go. They added that the man had behaved provocatively and uncooperatively during an encounter with the officers that preceded the incident. He got up from a park bench, looked at officers, and, quote, let out, let go a massive intestinal wind, apparently with full intent, they said, and our colleagues don't like to be farted at so much. (laughs) The police noted the decision could be appealed. So the guy got up. And farted in their direction, and they fucking find him. I mean, I can I can understand his approach. For well, one, you can or can't. I can. I can. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, it happens. I, I guess it's well. I guess it's all in how you do it. If you stand up and you stretch your arms and just you know one lets loose. I mean, 
I tend to think that something, I don't think they're telling the whole story. Look, even if it's that, not by accident, I think it's, it's, it's kind of weird to really have the, have the law behind you to find someone for that. Because I mean, in, in Austria, it's that way you, you, you can't, you can't, um, you can't call an officer names either. You could find you could could be found as well. I think in the in in English it would be disorderly conduct, or something right. like that. But I think we are way heavier on that than than you guys are. I I think I mean you can't you can't even say bro or man to an officer. You have to be very formal. You know. I mean, not to be clear, not everyone will crack down on you if you're not. They are humans as well, but they could by law as far as I know. So if you're disrespectful, um, you can be fine. And, and here in Austria, we, we have it with, with a lot of stuff I've learned where really, I think it's, it, it's, it's pretty tough in, in those little details. I think we are all humans. I mean, even though if it's, if it's not by accident, but on purpose, you're farting, I mean, really 500 euros for what? It's kind of crazy. Like I'm, I, letting one loose is one thing. There's there's more to this story, and and just to let you know, if you call a police officer in New York, bro or man or buddy, you're gonna get your you're gonna get an earful. Really? There's there's. I mean, I want. I think I once. I think I once said. You know, hey pal, can I ask you a question? The guy says, this "Officer." He was not happy with me, and of course, then I let out a ridiculous fart, and he locked me up. You know, but so does he have the law behind him, or does he just do that on his own behalf? Is, there, there are, you know, I think that I am not a, I am not in law enforcement, but I believe that there are little, little, tiny little loopholes that allow you to do whatever you want. Yeah, look, I, probably. Who knows? It, I, I, I personally believe that this wasn't just this guy got up from a bench, let out a fart, and they were like, "You're under arrest." I think, I think he might have been a menace or a nuisance. Or they said a few things, or maybe he shouldn't have been in the park, or maybe he was who publicly drunk or something. Yeah, hundred percent. There's a million things, you know. And then they said something to him, and he maybe he didn't like it, and then he just like kind of like lifted a cheek and gave him a, you know, (laughs) even response. Yeah, but still, I mean, I think I think if you're a cop, you have to be above that. Still. I mean, you can and you I can was, take the guy for for his actual crime, like being drunk drunk in public and like bothering um, other citizens or something like that. I think that's something you can, but but not for the fart itself. You know, it's it's still yeah. if you're a cop, you have to be above that. And if he's a little drunk and and not harming anyone, which he isn't with a fart, to be quite honest. So I mean, come on, it. it but it made news with us as well, and uh, <laughs> oh, it did! You heard about this? Yeah, for sure. This is big news. This is big I news. I mean, Austria is, farted in the- Austria is half the size of New York. Of course, it is. We're we're a small city. <laughs> when you read when you first read this story, what did you think? Yeah, the same thing. I'm 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 pretty heavy on freedom, essentially, and I don't yeah. think you should you should you should you should fart with abandon. <laughs> I would think personally I would think if I was the police officer I would think that I know speaking to a few friends of mine who are police officers they don't want to be bothered with writing tickets all the time because if it's something piddly it's a lot of extra work and there's a chance that you're going to have to go to court 
Like, do you really want to go to court? The guy farts, and then maybe he says, you know, I'm going to fight this. And then they go to court, and then he he says, I don't want to plea. I want to go to court. And then they're going to bring the police officer in, and then police officer's friends are just going to make fun of him. (laughs) What are you going to court today? I can't go to work today. I got to go to court. Why? Because I gave the guy a $500 fine for farting. Right. And then what? What do you mean you gave a guy a five hundred dollar fart for? Fart? Yeah, he farted at me, and I and I didn't like it. I didn't like it. And then how do you explain it all? Well, can you imagine saying to the judge, you know, the judge says, "Okay, well, what happened?" Well, I was standing there, and he he farted at me menacingly. I mean, what can you say? This asshole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this fucking guy. I mean, you can't. What do you? How do you? How do you make it? How do you make no, you the can. jury? How do, as your police officer? How do you make the jury? Well, he. I w- I felt menaced. I felt menaced, and I felt like he deserved to be punished for farting at me with full intent. And you can't laugh either. I mean, I mean you can't. Of course. I mean, how can you not laugh? I mean, it's r- totally ridiculous. I if it was me, I would be making. I'd rather just make jokes. You know, say, whoa, easy. You know. Yeah, right. I would words. approach it the same way. I mean, maybe you know? the officer had a bad day or something like that, or maybe there was more to the story. We don't know, but. Uh, still, it, it it can't be that. But we all know, like newspapers. I mean, most likely, it's like you said. There, there, there was more to the story, probably. But it's like, and then you know, his friends are taking like clips of the article and they're putting him <laughs> in his locker. Anytime he's, you know, like getting copies of it. Oh, this is it. We gotta. Get, I can't believe this. Our friend is so petty that he would, you know, get this guy a fucking deuce. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. Ben Kamen, we did it. And come on, it's pronounced come on. Say came correct. In. It's alright. Well, what do you? No, 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 no. Because you know, no, no. I, I need to know how you say it because people say it all incorrectly. It's come on, right? Yeah, but Mareko recently corrected himself, and I think with came on, everyone knows who you're talking about. It's better. <laughs> but it, yeah, I don't like that. See, that's the thing with Nick Nick Anger. He lets people call him Nick Anger, better name. But like, if you call his, I, and then I have some people call him Nick Anger, some people call him Nick Anger, and I was like, I asked him, and he says I don't care, and I'm like, I care, and then I called him, and I got his voicemail, and he said Anger, so I'm like, that's it. So like, I would rather just pronounce your name the way you prefer. It. That's right, but if you if you for Anger, Anger, some uh, for example, he um, if he wants to be found, and the guy who wants to find him doesn't speak French. Um, he won't be able to, you know, make up the You're right. So, yeah, <laughs> but it's it's common. Uh, I don't know. It's <laughs> I think it's difficult. Ben Ben Common. Yeah, that was with that intent. was nice. <laughs> with with intent, Benjamin Common with intent with intent, <laughs> not farting with intent. Ben, you're the best. I, I, I love talking with you. We're going to definitely have you on in the new year. I wish you a wonderful end of the year. Good luck with everything. I, I, I hope to see some pictures of that beautiful food you're going to make, and I hope you have a great holiday season. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. I wish all the best to you and your family as well. And, um, yeah, great holidays to you as well. And, and I wish you some rest. You're working hard, hard as well. <laughs> I wish some rest too. Yeah. That's fine. I can't do it. Can't do it. You know, we got to keep the wheels going. You can't keep the gears churning and all that. So we will definitely see Ben again in uh, 2023. And uh, I hope you, we have a, a lot of nice plans for the holidays. I got guests in next week that I'm not going to tell you about. I got a special guest for Christmas. And I may or may not take a couple of weeks off after Christmas. We'll see. I probably won't because I'm a maniac. 
Guys, once again, go follow Ben on Instagram. Uh, come on, knives. Come on, knives. Yeah, come on, underline knives. Come on, underline underscore knives. All right, guys, we're going to see you next week. Ben, thank you so much. I'll be back. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Yeah.